Good afternoon. Welcome to the channel Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. What comes up must go down and vice versa. But what's really the big picture that we're seeing in this market trade? That's what we're going to dive into today with Arlen Suderman. Arlen, of course, is with Stonex. And when I asked him what he wanted to talk about, he kind of gave me his glimpse into what he saw in these grain markets. So, Arlen, that's what we're going to start with. What does Arlen see when you look at these grain complex as a whole? Yeah, I see a stagnant corn market, a soybean market that's just kind of chopping around looking for direction, but with eyes keenly on Brazil. And I see a wheat market that suddenly looks like it's on fire over the last couple of days with Kansas City adding more than 50 cents off of their lows that they posted yesterday. Um, so a pretty wild market all, all together there. Probably starting with the wheat because everybody would say, okay, what's the story there? Surely this is a, there, there must be a bullish story there. And yes and no. Um, certainly we just went down to new two year lows. Chicago, we put in three year lows now, uh, just a few days ago. And that was largely on the fact that, um, China had asked France to delay shipment of some purchases it had made until March. It had bought between two and two and a half million metric tons of French wheat for December to March delivery. And the reports were, they said, can we delay shipments until March, starting in March? And so that got the world more worrying about demand problems, whether China was going to follow through on buying. And so the wheat market dropped to new lows for the move. Uh, but then on that big drop in price, now the chatter in the cash market, and this is unconfirmed yet as of this point, that China was kind of shopping around for hard red winter wheat. Well, when you're at multi-year lows, you know, well over two-year lows in Kansas City, and the speculative funds have sizable short positions, and they start hearing that, you're already starting to wonder, okay, are we getting down near where the lows should be? All of a sudden, they want to start covering their shorts, and the more they cover the shorts, the more the prices rise, the more we start tripping the chart signals, the more funds want to get out of their shorts just because the charts are turning, the momentum trading algos add to it, and all of a sudden, you're you're up about 28 cents in a day. Um, so that's a big part of it. Is China really buying? We're looking for the confirmation. They're probably buying some. Does it dramatically change our fundamentals? We don't have any indication of that yet at this point. Uh, we've got a significant surplus of wheat. We need that export demand to go higher. Um, so keep in mind, uh, you know, nobody rings a bell in Kansas City or Chicago when the low has been put in the market. So we don't know, but we have been here thinking that we put in the low, so to speak, a number of times over the last six months. And each time we get a short covering rally and then we fall to new lows. So some some caution is warranted in here on this market. Uh, but that had very little to impact on the corn market. Uh, as we look at corn, the big thing that sticks out to me is that there is a 48 cent carry between the December contract and the July contract. What does it mean? It means the July contract is trading 48 cents above where the nearby December contract is trading. Uh, that is not bullish at all. And a lot of people have this misconception that that means that, that the market's going to be going higher. No, it means the opposite. You typically, it means that there is a surplus. The market's trying to say there's too much corn out there. 
and you know we don't want you to deliver it now so we're going to put in a premium in the deferred contracts to try to incentivize you holding that corn but each time a contract goes off the board then the rest of them ratchet down with the next one taken over kind of where the the one went off the board and they just keep ratcheting down that premium comes out and so that is a warning sign of supplies now what could change that? Fundamentally, the biggest thing it could change that would be a short winter corn crop in Brazil. But we won't even plant the winter corn crop in Brazil for a couple more months, uh, really closer to two and a half to three months. Um, so if they do, and, and the risks are going to be higher, it looks like, for that winter corn crop in Brazil this year. But there's no guarantees that it'll be smaller. And if it is, then that won't positively impact our exports until the 24-25 marketing year, almost a year from now. So the market's probably not going to trade that anytime soon. So this corn market is just marking time, so to speak, and really doesn't have a story. Uh, and then you come to soybeans, where we've kind of chopped out a trading range here with some weather premium, watching the Brazil crop. We get all worked up and think it's going to be a short Brazil crop. That makes common sense to us. We think, okay, you look at the rainfall in center west Brazil, the excessive rains in southern Brazil, and you think, wow, it's going to be a short crop. That's going to stretch our tight supplies and requiring rationing of demand as exports go up. But then we see repeatedly private estimate after private estimate after private estimate over the last week say record crop or close to a record crop in Brazil. Um, and so there's a lot of question marks. Those reports keep the market from going higher, but the uncertainty about what the actual danger or the risk is provides underlying support for the market. So for now, it's finding support, waiting to see is the damage worse than or less than what was perceived? And I've already in previous times we've talked kind of gone over what history says there. It's really difficult to get a big variation in national production in Brazil because it's so big. And when one area has a short crop, the other area has a bigger crop and they kind of help offset each other. Uh, Stonex will be releasing its updated customer survey production estimates on Friday morning. And that'll give us some more clues into it. All right. Sounds good. Lots that we looked at on this front half. Stick around more to digest as we get ready for the second half, including the fact if you noticed we were on expanded limits in this cattle market, didn't come anywhere near what those limits would be, but it's still out there. More is coming up. It's the channel final bell on the rural radio network. Here's another channel chat where we discuss what's happening in the new channel seed brand across the central plains region. I'm Joe Gangwish. Matt McGuire is with us from Central Plains Solutions out of Wisner, Nebraska, and he talks about the merger of Fontenelle and Channel moving forward. Yeah, you know, like I said, we, you know, we're big on the crop consulting side and the agronomy side, and I think that going forward, the big reason that Fontenelle and Channel have merged is for the agronomy side of things and having more agronomy professionals you know we're going to be going from one on the legacy fontanel side to i believe 12 and i think that will be a, a huge help to our customers that are looking for that uh, support on the back end when they're raising their crops if you want more information contact matt with central plain solutions out of wisner or any one of your new channel seed professionals across nebraska kansas and colorado for channel seed i'm joe gangwish KRVN.
Welcome back to the Channel Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield as we continue our conversation this afternoon with Arlen Suderman with Stonex. And Arlen, we kind of left off talking about kind of the overall picture as to what you're seeing. There's a lot of influence that's going to continue to weigh into our markets on the grain side. But we didn't get a chance to talk much about ethanol. And I know that it's been uh, production numbers. We've seen some kind of a drop a little bit in ethanol production. You had some some great X conversations, formerly Twitter, taking place today, kind of breaking down what you saw in that ethanol market. So kind of share that with our listeners. Yeah, we saw ethanol production drop to 1,011 barrels per day last week, down from 1,023,000 1, barrels per day the previous week. And that's down from a year ago levels as well. And that's two weeks worth of drops. Now, we... Um, why is that? Because ethanol margins are generally profitable, although they've come down a little bit. We've seen a little bit of a decline in co-products here recently. Um, but there still would suggest we should have that grind going strong. And, and part of the reason, I think, for the number being down this past week is Thanksgiving was in that week. You think, well, the ethanol plants keep producing. But we've been told that about 40% of the plants don't they report what they load out on rail as what they produced. And that's not necessarily the same as what they produced. And so if you got one day in there because of Thanksgiving that you're not loading rail cars, then that means you've lost one-seventh of the production, even though you actually produced it, but as far as a reporting standpoint. So if you've got a, a significant number of plants doing that, that would account for it. You would expect that to get picked up in the following week if that's the case. What about the prior week? And there were some unexpected downtimes in some of the plants that we saw. Um, but some of the plants are simply having trouble getting corn and um, being able to originate it. Uh, the resellers don't want to sell it. We're seeing some basis, basis pushes trying to do it. In some cases, they, the ethanol plant gets a big enough basis push, and then they suddenly get flooded with corn, and, and they pull those pushes then. So it's been a lot of volatility. you got to stay on top of and ask a lot of questions with, with great frequency to get those pushes when they happen. Um, but some of them simply difficult to get corn because the farmer doesn't want to sell, the resellers don't want to sell. When we look at ethanol margins, as I said, generally good. Um, and uh, we should see that production hold up in there. USDA did increase the demand for corn by 25 million bushels for ethanol last report. I think that was justified. Um, but uh, near term, anyway, we took a dip. All right, let's switch gears and take a look at those livestock side. Some expanded limits today on this cattle market. Nowhere near it, but the dynamics of the big picture is going to be interesting over the next six to eight months. Yeah, it certainly is. And and the interesting thing is we look at the latest data, slaughter data from the week ending November 11th. We saw that beef cow kill that week was 81,000 head. That's the largest total of the year, and that matches year-ago levels. Beef cow slaughter has been accelerating again in recent weeks, um, and I think most people in the industry are probably expecting the cow inventory on the January 1 inventory report to be down 2 to 2.5% 2 year-on-year. That follows being down 3.6% the previous year. Um, so the pace of herd contraction is decelerating, but herd contraction continues. And I think a lot of people have this impression, okay, we went through herd contraction, now we're just waiting for rebuilding. But no, we're still contracting herd size. Uh, so that trend remains intact. 
And we're kind of estimating now that we'll start rebuilding the herd maybe in the fourth quarter this next year. We thought it would be in the fourth quarter this year. That did not play out. So now we're thinking maybe the fourth quarter of 24 when things will tighten up even more. So the tight story is still there. Um, it's just that near term, we have pulled cattle forward into such a tight window now. We've got a lot of feedlots in the high plains that are full, especially I know in Kansas there's a lot of feedlots that are full. And so a lot of them just simply don't have space for feeder cattle. And that's one of the reasons we've also seen a lot of volatility in the feeder cattle market of late. But for today, for today things are positive. Probably a little bit of uh, sympathetic support there coming from uh, numbers on the GDP for third quarter this morning. Revised numbers putting our annualized growth at 5.2%. That's a that's a pretty healthy looking economy. Now a lot of that was because of government spending, so maybe not realistic. But I think printing the number that high gave a little bit more confidence to traders. We had seen the uh, the managed money, the speculative money. You know, about eight weeks ago, they were at a net uh, over a hundred thousand net long or ownership position in the live cattle market. We estimate they got down to around twenty five thousand, so they had liquidated a lot on us right down. And so some of them may have felt like, you know, let's try getting in once again, and we'll see if this is the bottom or not. All right, great conversation today, Arlen. What's the best way for folks to get a hold of you? At StoneX.com or over on X, which is formerly Twitter. My handle is Arlen, A-R-L-A-N-F-F-101. And that is today's channel final bell. As a reminder, commodity features and options do involve a substantial risk of loss not suitable to all investors. The channel final bell is brought to you by Channel Seed and your local Channel Seed professional right here on the Rural Radio Network.